SoWin TV presents. SoWin TV presents. Lisa Burkhart Worley of Pearls of Promise Ministries. I want to welcome you to Pop Talk, the show where you never know what topics might pop up. Are you having trouble communicating with your teen or tween son or daughter? I know I had trouble with one of my sons when he was a teen. Today, you're going to receive some help from a doctor who specializes in this subject. Her name is Dr. Jessica L. Peck, a longtime pediatric nurse practitioner and mom of four. She's a clinical professor at the Baylor University Louise Harrington School of Nursing and is also the former president of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. She's treated teens with mental illnesses, responded to suicide attempts, treated self-harm wounds, as well as the emotional trauma of cyberbullying, sexting, pornography addictions, and numerous other issues. Dr. Peck has also written a book called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. And she is our guest today on Pop Talk. Welcome, Dr. Peck. It's great to have you on Thank the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, I know Lisa. You're- I'm so glad to be here. Uh, we're glad to have you here, and we've already bonded in just the few minutes we talked yeah. before the show. Um, I know you're helping a lot of parents with this book, and why do you think children hide what they're doing or what they're thinking? Well, the number one reason I think that kids hide things from their parents is because contrary to popular opinion, kids really do care about what we think about them. And it's very difficult for them to disappoint their parents. They don't want them to know. And part of it is it's developmentally appropriate for them where they are in their brain development. They're very concrete. They're very black and white thinkers. And it's very normal for them to want to avoid punishment. And so it's those two factors working together that prompts them to hide things from us. Yeah, a lot of times I'd ask my son what happened that day. He'd say nothing, <laughs> nothing every time. And so I I understand that. And he was probably doing some things maybe he shouldn't have been doing. Now, I believe because of social media, teens are feeling increasingly isolated. They're anxious and depressed. How can we help them navigate social challenges? You know, this is so ironic because this generation is digitally connected to the world in a way that no previous generation has ever been. They have access to friends and family and social networks all around the world. They're digitally connected, but they are relationally disconnected. They are deeply disconnected from meaningful relationships in their life. And this, this was already a trend before COVID, but COVID deeply accelerated that. And it isolated kids behind a screen to where they're more comfortable in these online relationships. And they have a lot of social anxiety about going back out into social forums. But the good news is that they have parents and grandparents and other adults in their lives who have great social skills. I mean, I'm Gen X. My uh, 
parents are, my in-laws are baby boomers. They know how to have water cooler talk, how to have those in-person interactions. So it's going to take us to teach them that, but we need to partner with them to look at their fresh world perspective. And if we want to influence their worldview, we have to start by seeing the world as they see it. And to, to do that, we need some new social skills to parent in a social justice, social media, social distancing kind of world. And so we have to be open to a new way of communicating. And that's really one of the reasons why I wrote Behind Closed Doors was to facilitate that communication and give parents a tool, a practical hands-on tool to be able to use to do that. Yeah, they live in a different world than what we lived in. Uh, we have to um, uh, venture into their world instead of expecting them to enter our world. And um, and a lot of things are happening nowadays that may not have happened uh, because of social media, because of the Internet. You cover a lot of difficult subjects in your book, uh, subjects like suicide and sexting. Can you take each of those topics and, and explain how prevalent they are? Well, I've been practicing in pediatrics for 20, 25 years, 20 years as a nurse practitioner. And I look back at the days when I first started practicing and I almost don't even recognize my daily schedule. Back then I saw things like chicken pox, which we don't see anymore because of vaccination. And we didn't even have social media or smartphones. I didn't get a smartphone until way down the line in my nursing career. But now these are everyday realities. So in Behind Closed Doors, I took the top 12 things that I see literally every single day impacting practice. And it's hard. It's really hard, Lisa, because when I look at my schedule, my schedule for the note on the appointment, it doesn't say this teen is coming in because they are depressed because they've been sexting. It says they have a headache or they have a stomach ache. But those are things that I uncover when they come into the clinic because they're looking for help. So those are things that I see every day, sexting, pornography, cyberbullying, mental health, divorce, substance misuse and abuse, gender identity issues, social justice, eating disorders. All of these things are things that I see every single day. How do you get them to open up about themselves? Well, you know, it's actually not as difficult as you might think. A lot of parents are really afraid to open up these topics of conversation. They think, I don't want to expose my kid to something they haven't been exposed to yet. But the truth is, we have to lead them well intentionally in this space of conversation. And we have to intentionally expose them to things in a developmentally appropriate way that positions us as the expert and opens the door for further conversation. So for me as a nurse, that's just in my wheelhouse to talk about very uncomfortable things in a way that is comfortable. So you have to realize too that you don't have to be a nurse to do that. Parents need to be authentic. That's what their kids want. They want them to open the door to these conversations in an authentic way. And so even for me, you know, I'll give you an example in talking to my son one day, an issue that was related to sex. And he did not say, oh, wow, thanks so much, mom, for sharing that with me. That was really helpful and insightful. No, he sat in the front seat of my car, put his hoodie up, and pulled the drawstring tighter and tighter until only his nose was sticking out and said, we shall never speak of this again. 
But, you know, he knew that I was there as a guide, as a support. And it wasn't too long after that that he came home after school and said, you remember that thing we talked about in the car? I have a very awkward question. And then he may or may not have turned his back to me so he didn't have to look at me while he asked the question. But that's really, that's really, you have to start somewhere. You don't have to be perfect. You just need to be present and willing to engage. I think you have to provide a safe place for them to to talk. Um, you know, my friend's granddaughter was doing something called cutting. Uh, I didn't know what that was when she told me about it. Uh, but then I found out and I just kept wondering why would anyone cut themselves? What do you think the cause of that is? Well, today's teens are experiencing a lot of emotional pain and they don't know what to do with it. They're very anxious. I mean, it's so hard for us to understand not having grown up in that world. I'll give you another example. There was a story I recently heard about, about a girl who was riding a subway. She was wearing shorts. She was just on her phone, minding her own business. And a stranger took a short video of her. She had a condition called neurofibromatosis that caused very small tumors to grow all over her body. And that stranger used two emojis to change her life. It was a monkey emoji and a question mark. And basically implied to everyone watching, is this a person with monkeypox on a train? Well, this video went viral and her sister ended up seeing it and saw that millions of people saw her unaware. <laughs> she was completely unaware that this video had even been taken. This is the kind of world that our kids live in where one mistake, where one incident of being videoed saying something foolish without their knowledge or consent could completely change their lives. And so we have to have some compassion for that, that they are looking for a way to relieve their pain. And if they don't even recognize they're having pain, they think that they're a snowflake or weak or somehow unable to cope with their problems. They don't want to be a burden to their parents. That can be a really difficult thing. So just leading with some empathy and saying, I can see that you're really struggling here. That can open a floodgate of emotions and relief that, oh, this is real. You do see this. I, I am upset. That can be really helpful. Yeah, cell phones are great and then they're bad at the same time because kids can use cell phones to really damage and wound other kids like the picture that that guy took or even just the cyberbullying that's going on uh, with with the phones and with all the social media. Can you talk a little bit about cyberbullying and and how bad that situation is and 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 how much does it really happen? When we grew up, we had an escape from bullying. You could go to summer camp or to your aunt's house or be just at home, not away from the school environment. But today's kids are exposed to the potential for cyberbullying 24-7. There is no escape. It doesn't matter if they're not on social media. It doesn't matter if they don't have a smartphone. Kids shoulder surf, look over the shoulders of other kids who are posting, or people will show them things that are posted about them without their consent. And most kids have witnessed some form of electronic aggression. In this world, I'll tell you, Lisa, it is, you have to buckle in because we're talking about things like catfishing, trickery, trolling, outing. I mean, all of these things, I think, I don't even know what that means. And so that's one of the reasons I wrote the book was to give parents a primer to be able to start to talk to their kids about these things that are going on and really empower them to be able to respond. They need a healthy 
self-image. And that is going to start with a meaningful connection to a trusted adult, most often their parent who's going to speak words of life into them. Another problem we see on the internet is pornography and the availability of it. I mean, even when I'm looking at Fox News or something on my phone, I mean, things pop up all the time, just different things, you know, that they're actually posting. And so it's easy for our teens and tweens to view this kind of thing. What can we do about that problem? We need to talk about it. It's not a question of if, but when a teen will be exposed to pornography. You're right. It can come in an ad that they didn't even solicit. It can come in an unsolicited email. It can happen with a friend showing something to them. And technology is not our friend in that way. So for example, the latest iPhone update allows kids to share video content in message that escapes a filter. So it's always going to happen. And usually what happens when kids are exposed to pornography is they experience shame and they don't really know why. Their body will have a response and then they think that was wrong. And so we have to talk about them to what to do, how to empower them to walk away and to have honest conversation about with us about when, not if that's going to happen. And if you haven't engaged in pornography as an adult today, I think you would be absolutely shocked at the what is what is seen. You know, we think about when we grew up, you might see a Playboy magazine under someone's bed. We're talking about very violent, degrading, user-generated pornography that can be uploaded largely unregulated. And so we need to talk to our teens about that and give them that opening to come and talk to us. And if they accidentally encounter it, come and know that they're not going to be in trouble and that we are going to help them walk through that situation. And nowadays there's a new problem as teenagers are really perplexed about their gender and they're questioning their gender. And I think because there's so much talk about that, they, they're wondering if, are, am I a guy? Am I a girl? Um, they, they, they're questioning what God designed them to be, male or female. How is this question of gender identity affecting the teenagers you treat? Every day. Every day I see kids in practice who have uh, gender confusion or gender dysphoria or just identify as a different sort of gender. Most of those kids, uh, they have got other health problems. Kids who have gender, uh, gender confusion or identify as a different gender, everybody agrees on the fact that they have increased risk of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, self-harming behaviors, and suicide, even among people who disagree about why that is. So a lot of times when people come in and when teens come into my practice and they have issues related to gender, I can't even start to talk about that before I talk about the anxiety. They're so anxious. They cannot hear anything that I say about anything related to gender before we we need to talk about mental health issues that are there. And so I think that there's a certain amount of compassion that needs to be there. And it's easy also for parents to talk about this or for anybody to talk about this when you don't have that personal encounter or personal relationship with someone who's struggling. But then all of a sudden, 
when it's in your house, it's very, very real. And parents are very afraid that if this is disclosed, these kids are going to be cut off from their social networks, or they're going to be told they can't come to their church settings or those kinds of things. And so it's it's not easy to deal with at all. And it has to be highly individualized. And we have to have compassion as we're walking through kids who are struggling with these kinds of issues. Do you think some of this gender confusion could have originated from some dysfunction in the household? I, I've seen that time and time again, where maybe a, there was an abuse situation or maybe the abuse happened outside the household and that's caused a, a, a female perhaps to uh, not want anything to do with men because it was a bad um, experience for her with a man. I don't know. I'm just asking you since you're the professional. A lot of times when kids question their gender, there is some sort of trauma. And we know that a lot of kids who act out in other ways have experienced trauma. We know that adverse childhood experiences deeply impact even the way that our DNA is read and transcribed. So it's really important to take a holistic approach and to look at a child from a health, a physical health perspective, but also a mental health, a social health, an emotional health, and, and, and the family support structures. Those are things are really important. And even the American Academy of Pediatrics says when, when families disagree, because a lot of times that that's kind of the crux of the issue is this, you know, violates our spiritual beliefs. But you have to remember there's still a child there that needs support. And so walking through and having those open conversations is going to help them have a much better outcome than taking an approach that just says, uh, you know, you're kicked out of my house. Honestly, that's what I see a lot. And then you've got a kid experiencing homelessness or looking for community in other places. So again, it's just something that's extremely complex that families cannot walk through alone. They need a, a, a mental health provider. They need a primary health care provider. They need spiritual support. They need social support as they walk through these issues with their child. As I walk through these questions with you, I keep thinking about how many things can affect a family, how many things can affect a child and their well-being just so much. I was fatherless. And uh, then as a result of that, my mom really struggled. And so those were the things that affected me. But there's so many things that can uh, send a child down the wrong path. That's why it's important uh, what you're doing and to help set children on a solid foundation. There are a lot of broken families today, either through divorce or abandonment as well. How is that affecting our kids? Oh, it's definitely impacting our kids. You know, divorce happens in more than 50% of homes in the United States. And I even talk about in the book a little bit how unfortunate it is that we choose to label divorced homes as the singular brand of broken homes when there is just, like you said, so many kinds of brokenness. But what we know about physiology and child development is that if kids experience stress, with the presence of protective factors. That means people who love them, who care about them, if they are in social structures that give them support, if they have a good school system, if they're in a church group, they are not going to develop what we call toxic stress. That is just a, a continual uh, excretion of chemicals that literally damage your brain. But if they have people that are supportive in their homes, then their brain can learn how to respond to stress in a healthy way. So regardless of what that stressor is, whether it's divorce, whether it's conflict, whether it's substance abuse, 
the single greatest predictor of a child being able to overcome that is the presence of a supportive adult in their life. And you know, Lisa, we have to parent for the long game because in this world of instant gratification, sometimes we treat parenting or we treat these challenges in parenting like chia pets. We just want a little instant fix, you know, a little sunlight, a little water, and in a couple of days, everything looks good again. And that's just not how it happens. So we have to have a realistic view that we are parenting for the long game. And some of these issues do have mountains and valleys and plateaus. They have setbacks and they have triumphs. And we need to be there with our kids through that and realize that it's more about the journey than it is about the destination and how we choose to lead our kids along the way. How much does your faith come into play in your work, Dr. Jessica, as well as how important is it for faith to come into play in these families that are struggling uh, with their kids? My faith is everything to me. And we know that faith is actually supported by science. So I'll give you an example. There's a scripture that says, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in with prayer and supplication, present your request to God and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so that's talking about practicing intentional gratitude. We don't have to be grateful for every situation, but we can be grateful in every situation. And Science shows that people who practice intentional gratitude have lower blood pressure, they have lower risk of heart attack and stroke, they have they sleep better, they have better health outcomes on a number of measures. And so when we look at that scripture and we're saying that the peace of God will guard your heart, it's not just figurative, it's literal. God gives us instructions that will literally help our health. And so to me, it's always exciting to see the integration of faith and science. We also know that kids who have deep, meaningful spiritual connections and parents who make their faith their own and that it's authentic and real and lived out in their house and a faith that is caught and not taught, those kids have lower lower risks of taking risk-taking behaviors. So they are less likely to use drugs or engage in risky sexual behaviors or have depression or anxiety. And so those things are all exciting because in today's world, we honestly need some hope, don't we? I mean, we really have a barrage of bad news coming to us at the speed of a smartphone. So the fact that there's hope in practicing our faith, I find great comfort in that. But... This can happen in a Christian family. We had some trouble with our youngest son, and and uh, we were go- we were very active in the church. And I was in ministry and all that kind of stuff. And it can still happen. You hear a lot about preachers' kids kind of going down the wrong road and 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 experimenting and doing some things they shouldn't do. But uh, so for parents who are listening, uh, what are some warning signs to look for in our teenagers? Well, I think the first thing that we have to do is drop the not my kid mantra. Just think, oh, my kid would never do that. Or I put these these, uh, protections in place. So that couldn't happen. In today's world, unfortunately, anything can happen to any kid. And I have spoken all across the country about social media use and other risk-taking behaviors. And invariably, someone will stand up and say, just like you did, I did all of the right things and my kids still had this struggle. So we have to just recognize that we're not perfect. We have a perfect heavenly father and we are not perfect. And our kids surely are not going to be perfect either. So the warning signs to look for are warning signs that honestly, 
I feel like I don't even have to tell parents because they have that spidey sense. They know something is off. But for example, when your baby, when your child is a baby and you think they're fussy at night and pulling on their ear, I'm just going to go get that checked out just to make sure you have a very low threshold for that and a high sensitivity. But usually when kids come in to see me as teenagers, things have been going on for months. They're not sleeping well. They're not eating well. They're having increasing conflict, decreasing interest in their social life. Their grades maybe are suffering. Maybe they're getting in trouble more at school, but you just kind of think about it and wait. So I would encourage parents have that same sensitivity threshold that you have when you're a baby and when your kids were a baby and when you feel like something is wrong, pick up the phone and call your primary health care provider. That relationship is so important to have someone you trust and someone that you like. We are ready and equipped to be able to tell you, hey, this is something really worrisome or this is something that I think you know we can make some adjustments and give you some encouragement here and this will be okay. So that is what I would encourage parents to do. Great advice. Uh, can you share some success stories about your interaction with teenagers? Have you ever prevented something devastating from happening in a child? You know, in my professional role, most of the time when I see kids, they've already experienced harm, but we can prevent them from experiencing great harm. And there are so many times where I've done that, where I've intervened with a child who is thinking about harming themselves or killing themselves even and those kinds of things. But, you know, the honest truth, Lisa, is I think my greatest success story is in my own four children. My children are 19, 17, 15, and 13. And I didn't write a book because, oh, I'm an expert and I have it all together. I feel like I wrote a book because I have the courage to say, I don't. I still struggle some days. I don't do things perfectly many times. I've learned how to apologize. And the opening scene of my book and behind closed doors starts with my daughter who was 13. We were driving down the road, having a recurrent argument, and she threw a book at my head while we were driving. And that was the turning point for me. I did not have a good relationship with my mom. It was very strained in my teen years and then absent completely in my parenting years. And so I thought, how can I do this? I feel like a fraud and a failure. How can I learn to parent? But I have found hope for healthy relationships. We have to remember that healthy relationships are not perfect. And perfect relationships honestly aren't healthy, but there is hope to be found for healthy relationships. My kids are now all teens at one time, and I have such great hope in seeing the way that we have created a new way forward for healthy relationships. Well, it actually makes me feel a little better because I never got a book in the back of this, but I'm so sorry that happened to you. Uh, but, you know, I, I did get stonewalled a lot. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Peck. Dr. Jessica L. Peck's book is called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate life's toughest issues. If you would like to reach out to Dr. Peck for anything, you can find her at her website, drnursemama.com. I love that. drnursemama.com. Or if you would like her to speak at your event, reach out to her publicist, Mark Breta. That's B-R-E-T-A. His email is mark at jonesliterary.com. 
And we'd love to hear from you as well. You can email us here at Pop Talk and Pearls of Promise Ministries at info at pearlsofpromiseministries.com. You can like us on Facebook. We'd love that. Follow us on Twitter at Pop Talk Media or at Pearls of Promise. We're also on Instagram at pop underscore ministries. Check out all of our past television shows on our YouTube channel. And thanks to our sponsor of today's show, Grace Point Media. For all of your media needs, go to gracepoint.media. Well, that is Pop Talk for today. I'm just an ordinary girl who God turned into a pearl. Have a blessed week. Coming soon at the Central Park Performing Arts Center in Largo, Florida, the first annual Solwyn Women's Conference. Hear 20 plus inspiring speakers that will transform you, shift you into your divine path. Mark your calendars, ladies, June 21st to the 23rd. Three full days of fellowship, worship, encouragement, and supporting local female business owners. When your soul prospers, so will your health, your finances, and your relationships. You need a lot of time trying to figure it out. You're stronger than you think. God wants us to walk in freedom. He wants us to understand the blessing. It's time to be healed in your soul, know your true worth, and be all you were beautifully and wonderfully made to be. Purchase your tickets now for this life-changing event at www.soulwinconference.com. Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on Soulwin, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. Soulwin women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now.